I'm going to be very honest with you. I feel very vulnerable this morning because um, we're going to be dealing with some difficult passages. And um, this is not my way to cop out to say that you feel sorry for me or anything like that. But I think um, one of the reasons why we initially thought about doing Revelation is because we want for us to have the confidence to approach God and to approach his word, even when things are difficult, even when things are tough and they don't make sense. And um, the book of Revelation itself, it's a very difficult book because, as we have said, it's, it's the prophetic, it's the symbolism, it's the things that actually, I'll say that, as people, we would like to know because it's our nature that we want to know the ins and outs and the details. And some of the symbolism is so strong that we don't understand it or we speculate with it and stuff. And the passage that we're going to be dealing today, I was sharing with the band, is I think when you read about it and when you read, when you read the passage, it's, it's so many interpretations about the detail and stuff that is off-putting really. It's... And that's not the purpose today. I think the purpose this morning is for us to have a look at the bigger picture, for us to have a look at God in all his attributes, and for us to respond uh, to that by expecting God's kingdom to come. So, one of questions that I had after church last week, I had two questions about Revelation, so that's very helpful. Keep bringing the questions, is about some things that actually we, we take for granted, and if we don't understand, please make sure that you say that you don't understand, because I can stop and explain if I know the answer. But one of the questions is, what is your definition of antichrist? And I thought, oh, okay, I've taken that for granted, because I thought that we, we had a clear understanding of what that is, and um, just to let you know where I stand with that, is that for me is a human power that is in different ages of church history or church or history of the world that is kind of working against the purposes of God to reach out and reconcile himself with the world. And uh, throughout the history, there have been versions and I would say that, you know, I would not put my heart on hand and say that this and that, that, but we have seen really prototypes of how that power or that political influence has, has really had an impact on uh, the purposes of uh, God's kingdom. Um, so that's, I've done my bit of explaining a little bit. What I might do is that next Sunday or when we carry on with Revelation. I have not had time to do it this week. I want to create a little glossary with, with little words that we, we, we kind of understand of things and terms. And, but again, feel free that if you hear something that is really, uh, just stop because we can, we can really um, expand there and then. But just to give you a picture of where we are in the book of Revelation, I thought it would be good to recap the first, you know, so we're going to be working chapters 8 to 11 this morning. 
um, ambitiously. Hopefully, we're going to get there. And if we, if we don't get there, don't worry. The church has been dealing this for 2,000 years. We're not in a rush. We're going to take our time. So, we've got John, who is taken by God into this vision. And he has been commanded, he has been actually instructed to write it down and to pass it on. So that's what we've got in, in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. We've got this fantastic picture of who God is and how he is about to, to bring, actually it starts with God and how, how John actually is about to bring this revelation from that place of worship. And then John is commanded to to pass on this message to the churches. So there is this element that this this vision is not only for John, but is is for the churches to have a look at it. So he is writing and he is addressing the message to to seven um, individual churches in Asia Minor, tailing a letter, individual letter, for the time where they're, they're... they happen to be, actually, in God's history. And we need to bear in mind that this group of followers of Jesus in those days, the context is that, actually, they have just found themselves to take on the great commission to go and make disciples. And found themselves that this is a very difficult task. And it's not that straightforward. So this community of Christians, wherever they were in Asia Minor or spread across, they were really struggling to, 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 to make this concept of God's kingdom come to earth because they were faced with persecution. So there was a lot of opposition. There was a lot of, actually, animosity. Because basically, people didn't want to come to that, to grasp with that reality that Jesus Christ is Lord and his kingdom is starting. So there was opposition and therefore persecution. But also, what they found themselves was that in this, in this immense working out of God's kingdom to spread, there were some people who came out with these funny ideas that actually were influenced by the Roman or the Greek philosophies. And why not? Let's bring this teaching to the church and see where it takes us. So there was a lot of false teaching. So they had pressure from outside, they had pressure from inside, and then they find themselves, well, overwhelmed. What do we do? Do we compromise? Or do we stay on the truth? that has been really been the legacy of the disciples to the early church. And some of them were overwhelmed to the point of, we can't be bothered. And therefore, we've got this liturgy. Not liturgy, but liturgy. So here is the context. And I'm sure that we can identify with those 
those trends that were going on here. But here we've got the context in which God is bringing on this revelation. Because he wants for his people to know that he is faithful. That he is not finished. That he is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. And I think John has got a very difficult job. We'll see today in chapter 10 how difficult John's job is. But, but he's got a difficult job to, 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 to immerse himself in this revelation, to write it down and to pass it on. So then the 21st century believer looks at it and says, but what can I learn from it? Just to remind you some of the things that have been going on. You know, in chapter 1 verse 3, John is reminded that he needs to write these things down because time is near. And that element of time is near is more to do with the anticipation rather than the urgency. But there is that sense of urgency to work on. He's been written... He's being given this vision from the guy who is Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. We need to remember this. Also, John needs to be remembered that not to be afraid because I am alive forever and ever. So we've got the churches, chapter 2 and chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, we've got this great picture of the 24 elders around the throne, worshipping, and the four living creatures. And they're all saying, holy, holy, holy is God Almighty, who is, who was, who is, and who is to come. Chapter 5, we've got the scroll. I think this is not intentional here. Somebody has forgotten the scrolls on the communion table there, but it's a good picture, because uh, I thought I'm not going to move them. And this, this scroll was sealed with four wax seals. And John could not come to the grips that who is worthy to open the scroll. And the angel says there is only one person who is worthy to take off the seals. And that's Jesus himself. The one we sing about, the lion and the lamb. We move on to chapter 6 where it talks about the Lamb that opens the seven seals. We spoke a little bit about the seven seals last week. And then we said that the seventh seal falls unto the beginning of chapter 8. And that's the seal that there is silence. And also, that's the seal where God answers the prayers of his people. Now, today we're going to do a little bit different because I'd, I'd like to have three readers, volunteers. Because the seventh, seventh wax seal is the beginning of the, seven, well, of the next group of seven. And the next group of seven is the seven trumpets. Um, so, I'd like to have three readers. The first reader... And remember the blessing of those who read the book and those who listen to the book and take it into action. 
because the times are near. So the first reader is chapter 8, verses 6 to 13. Any volunteers for that? Phil? Ruth, can I ask you to, to read the second part? It's a little bit more complicated. It's chapter 9, verses 1 to 14, and then verses, well, just do 1 to 15, and then do verses 20 and 21, if that's all right. And then read the number 3, Mark, chapter 11, verses 15 to 19. So we're not going to look at the three chapters in detail. I just want for us to get the picture of what's going on. So let's, let's listen to what God is saying to us. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures of the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers, and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it, when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. 
They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign for ever and ever. And the twenty-four elders, who were seated on their thrones before God, fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. When God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Amen. Now, this is God's words, and it's, it's difficult. And it's a marathon of, of, of the imagery that is so strong, so grotesque, and so, yeah, intense. Um, I've never watched Star Wars until the 7th of January this year when I was invited to this marathon of watching Star Wars. And I think by the third film I lost the plot because it was so intense and I couldn't cope with, 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 you know, I think we watched six, Colin, didn't we? Six, yeah. Colin organized it. It got so intense. And I, I, I thought, am I understanding the whole plot? Am I understanding the whole 
the whole idea, or, or is this just, you know, and I, I just wanted to bring that here, because sometimes when we, when we come to, to the book of Revelation, you, you might feel like I did when, when I first watched Star Wars, that I've managed to switch off the microphone, and the, 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 all these creatures that come from all over the place, and you think, how did it come up there? You know, it's like, and it, it's, I just wanted to bring that as an illustration to, to, for us to, to understand the intensity of the symbolism here. But one, one thing is, is, is very interesting here, that although this is the, the, the breaking up of the seven trumpets, this is also part of God's answering the prayers of his people. And it really, really makes me think and makes me look at myself and my prayer life. And you say that sometimes it looks like it becomes a secondary thing. It becomes something that actually uh, we do it because we do it. And if we don't do it, it is okay. But once again, we are reminded of the significance and the importance of the prayer of God's people. Also, we are reminded that God answers prayers. As I said last week, there is no unanswered prayer. There is no unanswered prayer. And sometimes the answer is what we don't want. But God answers prayer. So, as, as a church community, I really wanted to encourage us that we look at our prayer life together and we hold one another accountable to it as something that is very precious to us, that is not going to be trumped by the busyness and the activities of our church life, but is something that we value, is something that we want to build our ministries, something that we want to build our mission, something that we want to build actually our week on. So in two weeks' time, we're going to have a prayer week. And I'd really like to encourage us that we take that seriously. We take that seriously. And I'm not, you know, it will be lovely. And I'm expecting that some people will show up here. But also take it into the week. And if just make sure that, that you are in tune with what God is doing here. And, and, and stuff like that. Also, we've got this prayers of in, for the intercessors on Thursday. Please... Let's carry on working on prayer. Let's carry on showing our dependence on God. Let's carry on showing that actually we want to be doing His will and not what we're capable of. So, let's have a look at the trumpets. They're all fall in these patterns, these groups of seven. There is a pattern of four initial things that happen. And then there is another three. With, and the three, the, 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 the second group of three is in this three sets of the seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls that we're going to be looking in the coming weeks. There, the, the, the second set of the seven, the number three that is left, is interrupted by an interlude. There is something that is happening there. And we need to, to, to pay attention to that. But here we've got this calamity, this, this thing that we, we actually don't like to talk about. 
And it's called judgment. And as, as, as people, we really, when we come to the word judgment, it's such a daunting thing. Um, have a look at the word judgment and the concept in the scriptures. Also in the light to all the attributes of God. Because if you look at the word judgment, the concept in scriptures is closely related to the concept of God's justice. And we are all very passionate about justice. And actually, we really expect God in all his relationships to act justly and morally. Human beings created by God have a moral dimension. So that they may positive positively respond to God's righteous demands in their lives. Divine judgment involving God's approval or disapproval upon each human act is a natural consequence of this God-human relationship. Judgment, simply defined, is the divine response to human activity. How many of you know the story of the Gruffalo? For those who you don't know, it's my favorite children's book. It's written by Julia Donaldson. It's, read it, it's great, it's very short. And shall I, shall I ruin the plot or shall I tell you? For those who have, shall I spoil it? Okay. So, it's, it, it's a story of this, of this mouse who, who is really scared of a fox, of an owl, and a snake. And he, he creates this image of um, a grizzly bear, buffalo, complex creature called the Gruffalo. And... All the fox, the owl, and the snake want to invite the mouse for dinner to their place so they can eat him in the end. The mouse is very clever and he says, Oh, I can't come for dinner because I'm meeting with a gruffalo. I mean, I'm not going to recite the whole thing. <laughs> so to cut the long story short, the snake, the owl... And the fox believe that there was such a creature as a gruffalo. And they become curious. Whereas the mouse thinks, didn't you know? There is not such a thing as a gruffalo. Until the mouse himself finds that there is a gruffalo. And then he sets the gruffalo to say that I am the biggest creature and the scariest creature in the forest. Do you want to see what I do? So the moment he goes back to show him the fox, without realizing the fox is scared because he's in the Gruffalon, because he's seen the mouse. And so happens with the snake, and so happens with the... Oh. And I don't want to, to really take a, a big moral out of this, but I think as God's church... 
would deal with this outflow of God's character called judgment as the mouse dealt with a gruffalo. There is moments in our church history when we've been talking about this big gruffalo. I can't recite to you all the, the characteristics that the mouse talks about the gruffalo. And there is moments in the church history when we have just swayed away and saying there is not such a thing as a gruffalo when we know is there. And although it's a very difficult subject, although it's a very difficult thing to talk about, we know that this fits well, or it fits with the biblical economy. That there is an element of evil and sin that needs to be put in justice. And this is not done by humans, but this is done by God, who is the creator. And remember the song of the old? He is the creator. And remember the song of the new, that salvation belongs to to the Lord. And remember that we have a song to rehearse, that we need to be thinking that in all of this, God is sovereign. He is in control. Although the picture, the, the, the image that we've got here is grotesque. Look, look at all the, the plagues, you know, there is, you know, hail and fire, great mountain, it's a great star, it's, it's the great darkness, the first four um, trumpets. And then you've got the, 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 these were the physical plagues, and then you've got the demonic plagues, the three woes of judgment. You've got first the destroyer. And again, it's, 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 it's all this enemy of God in the mission to destroy. Because that's what he does. That's what he wants. He wants for people to be distracted of what God wants to do with creation. To restore them. To rescue them. To save them. To give them life. And then... There is the speculation. Oh, the first woe. Oh, maybe that's, that's something to do with this particular country and their helicopters. Or this has to do, the second woe has to do with this particular country and their tanks. And we try to define things because it suits us. But let's not lose sight that actually... What we're trying to do here as well, not look at the detail, but look at the concept that in his approach to evil and sin, God is going to outwork his plan. Always, constantly giving people the chance to turn to him. And what Ruth read from um, the second wall, if you read verses... Um, 20 and 21 of chapter 9. Verses 20 and 21 verse of chapter 9. It says, The rest of the mankind that were killed by this plague still did not repent of the works of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons 
and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, woods, idols that cannot see or hear walk. Again, we come to the point that as people, we like idolatry. We've made our own gods. And it doesn't matter the, 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 the value because it goes from, from gold to wood. We start think, we, we, we always, we always think that we, we want my, my God fix in my life. And John laments the fact that despite of this, people are still turning their back to God. And I think as a church, we need to have the same attitude. And lament and pray over the fact that we want for people not to carry on turning their backs to God. We want for them to be joining and embracing the hope and the transformation that the gospel of Jesus brings. This is why our prayers are so important. This is why our interceding for for the world, interceding for for the country, interceding for for the city is so important. Let's not lose sight of that. And let's bow down in our knees and lament to God for people that do not know him. Now, there is one thing that is interfering here, and it's chapter 11. And there are the two witnesses, those who actually continue in faithfulness to share the good news of Jesus. And those two witnesses have got this time limit, time frame, that they need to preach the gospel. And then they get killed. Now, I don't know what your interpretation of those two witnesses is. We're not gonna, I'm not going to share what my interpretation is, because I haven't got a very strong view about it. But what my take is, is that these witnesses kept being faithful in sharing the hope in the midst of what was going on. They were not distracted by all the calamity that was going on around them. And I think as a church of God, we've got an opportunity there to to, to learn and to get the principles. Because regardless of how frightful and dangerous the suffering in the world is, we know that the Lamb who was slain has got the last word. But remember that the message that we've got, it's what John is saying in the scroll. And I said to you, it's that scroll that he is asked to swallow, that actually it's very sweet in the, in the eating of it, but it, when it lands to the stomach, it becomes bitter. And it's this bitter-sweet stuff that... That's the truth of the gospel. You pledge your allegiance with Christ. You become his follower. You become a son and a daughter of God. You don't pledge your allegiance with Christ. You miss out on that. 
It's a bitter, sweet message. And I think as a church, because it's like that, let's not fall into the trap of treating this as the Gruffalo story. Because in all of this, I really want, I'll stop here, uh, and we can pick up on what we've left uh, next time. But I want to stop here, because I think it's very important that although we're talking about judgment, we're seeing a heart of God who in the same time is holy, he's just, he's loving, and he's still giving people opportunity to reach out to them and save them. And I don't want to lose sight of that. Because once I lose sight of that, I've started creating my own understanding and picture of who God is. Whereas the revelation is trying to reveal us the whole attribute of God. So then we can say, well, I'm not worthy. Who is worthy? The Lamb is worthy. And the Lamb is worthy and He has done it on your behalf and on my behalf. So, Church of God, people of God, followers of Jesus, this call is out for you and for me today. That we've got this heightened appreciation of God's kingdom and this anticipation of his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Not because we have planned it that way, but because God has chosen to reach out to this broken world in that way. So, we're going to pause here. And as a response, I I thought, before Iron comes and sings and leads us in the last song, that we pause for a moment. There's a lot to take in. But as a response, we stand up together and say the Lord's Prayer. Because if Jesus taught that prayer to the disciples when they were with him, how much more do we need that prayer? So I'm going to have like a minute or two of just space and then I'll ask you to to stand up with me.